Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and let's go ahead and get right into it tonight with Welcome to My Mind Mare. So I got a few things that I'm going to talk about here tonight. Um, first uh, is is off of last week's episode, which was on politics. I'm going to say that it's the first day of fall here, or just was a couple days ago, and the end of the politics season is in sight. That makes nobody in this country happier than me and 315 million of my closest friends. Everybody's going to be happy when this is over. We may not be happy with the outcome, but we'll be happy when it's over. Second, uh, I'm going to talk about a couple different cons here. First one is Gamehole Con. Uh, From when this episode drops, it is going to be 20 days from that day until Gamehole starts. I'm kind of getting excited about it. It's the first time I've ever volunteered at a con as, you know, an official volunteer. I've helped out with cons in the past and... As a lot of you know, if you're if you're listening to this, I'm I'm up to my armpits in EverCon, but um, GameholeCon, I'm going to be there as an official volunteer. Um, it kind of messed up my gaming that I was going to do, but I, I I think it's worth it just to see how a different con works. So um, that's 20 days from today, um, the day that this drops, which uh, should be October 14th. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, Evercon. Evercon from the day this drops will be 84 days away. Um, so, you know, make sure you get out there, look at Evercon.org, get signed up as a volunteer, get signed up as a game master, get signed up to come. Uh, it's all open at this point, so go out there, get it done. Uh, the more people that pre-register, it gives us a better idea of how to make sure that everybody that comes is taken care of. So, um, that'll be great. So... We'll move right into This Week in History. Um, this week, I have uh, Nikki Teeman with me. She may pop up at some time, but this is the first time this has happened, and I think it's kind of cool. She has brought something for This Day in History, so I will turn it over to her right now. We'll just do the history thing. We'll, we'll get into uh, meeting you in a little bit here, but uh, go ahead and uh, give us your piece of history. Okay. Um, so, so today is September 23rd when we're recording this. Uh, so a few years ago, um, actually a few days ago, September 19th, 1864 was the anniversary of uh, Major Lemuel Abbott, um, who was serving in the Civil War. He was, um, involved with the Vermont Volunteers. He was twice severely wounded that day. He lost 11 teeth. Both jaws remained his upper lip being badly mangled, a shell contusion of his chest, and that was at the Sheridan's Battle of Winchester. So, did he? Was it shrapnel, or was he shot, or don't you know? Or? I do not know. Okay, okay, yeah. All right, so that's, that's a little. Sounds little, pretty horrible, though, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't sound like a good day at the office. That's no, for sure. No. <laughs> all right, all right. 
So now she read a piece of history from the day that we're recording. And I know in the past, that's what I've done. I've taken the week that we're recording and I've said, okay, these are the history items from this week. But what I'm going to do starting with episode nine tonight is I actually know when these episodes are going to drop. So I'm going to change that up a little bit. I'm going to actually do history that's equivalent or at the time that the, uh, that the episode drops. So history this week is going to be from October. I want to say it's like October 8th to October 14th. And as you all know, I do three different little bits. Um, so let's just jump into these because one of them is a little bit on the long side, but uh, we'll get going here. All right. So the first one, October 14th, 1947, Jaeger breaks the sound barrier. U.S. Air Force Captain Chuck Yeager becomes the first person to fly faster than the speed of sound. Yeager, born in Mira, West Virginia in 1923, was a combat fighter during World War II and flew 64 missions over Europe. He shot down 13 German planes and was himself shot down over France. But he escaped, during, he escaped capture with the assistance of the French underground. After the war, he was among several volunteers chosen to test fly the experimental X-1 rocket plane built by the Belk Aircraft Company to explore the possibility of supersonic flight. For years, many aviators believed that man was not meant to fly faster than the speed of sound, theorizing that transonic drag rise would tear any aircraft apart. All that changed on October 14, 1947, when Jaeger flew the X-1 over Rogers Dry Lake in Southern California. The X-1 was lifted to an altitude of 25,000 feet by a B-29 aircraft and then released through the bomb bay, rocketing to 40,000 feet and exceeding 662 miles per hour, the sound barrier at that altitude. The rocket plane, nicknamed Glamorous Glennis, was de designed with thin, unswept wings with a streamlined fuselage modeled after a 50 caliber bullet. Because of the secrecy of the project, Bell and Jaeger's achievement was not announced until June 1948. Jaeger continued to serve as a test pilot, and in 1953, he flew 1,650 miles per hour in an X-1A rocket plane. He retired from the U.S. Air Force in 1975 when the rank, or I'm sorry, with the rank of Brigadier General. Can you imagine a time when going faster than the speed of sound was not even really fathomable? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> you know, you you talk about things like Lindbergh flew over the Atlantic long before supersonic. I mean, the mm -hmm. amount of time that would take. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, my daughter just went to Germany not too long ago, and it still takes a decent amount of time to get across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. But comparatively, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to me, that just seems a little crazy. But yeah. um, uh, all right, into our second piece here, which is October 12, 1492. Any idea what happened on October 12, 1492? I'm guessing it has something to do with Columbus. It does. Okay. Columbus search, or, uh, reaches the New World. Okay, there you go. So, after sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus sights a Bohemian island, or Bohemian island. <laughs> Not Bohemian. No, that's a little different. <laughs> now I don't even know what to say. Bohemian island. Uh, believing he had reached East Asia, his expedition went ashore the same day and claimed the land for Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain, who sponsored the attempt to find Western Ocean Route to China, India, and the fabled Gold and Spice Isle Islands of Asia. Columbus was born in Genoa, Italy in 1451, 
Little is known of his early life, but he worked as a seaman and then a maritime entrepreneur. He became obsessed with the possibility of pioneering a western sea route to Cathay, so China, India, and the Gold and Spice Islands of Asia. At the time, Europeans knew no direct sea route to southern Asia, and the route via Egypt and the Red Sea was closed to Europeans by the Ottoman Empire, as were many land routes. Contrary to popular legend, educated Europeans of Columbus's day did believe that the world was round, and argued by St. Isidore in the 7th century. However, Columbus and most others underestimated the world's size, calculating that East Asia must lie approximately where North America sits on the globe. Uh, they did not know that the Pacific Ocean existed. <laughs> With only the Atlantic Ocean, he thought, lying between Europe and the riches of, East, of the East Indies, Columbus met with King John II of Portugal and tried to persuade him to back his Enterprise of the Indies, as he called his plan. He was rebuffed and went to Spain, where he was also rejected at least twice by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. However, after the Spanish conquest of the Moorish kingdoms of Granada in January 1492, the Spanish monarchs, flushed with victory, agreed to support his voyage. On August 3, 1492, Columbus set sail from Palos, Spain, with three small ships, the Santa Maria, the Pinta, and the Nina. On October 12th, the expedition reached land, was <clears throat> reached land, probably Waitling Island in the Bahamas. Later that month, Columbus sighted Cuba, which he thought was mainland China, and in December, the expedition landed on Hispaniola, which Columbus thought might be Japan. He established a small colony there with 39 of his men. The explorer returned to Spain with sp gold, spices, and Indian captives in March 1493, and was received with the highest honors by the Spanish court. He was the first European to explore the Americans since the Vikings set up colonies in Greenland and Newfoundland in the 10th century. During his lifetime, Columbus led a tour, a total of four expeditions to the New World, discovering various Caribbean islands, the Gulf of Mexico, and the South and Central American mainlands. But he never accomplished his original goal, a western ocean route to the great cities of Asia. Columbus died in Spain in 1506 without realizing the great scope of what he did achieve. He had discovered for Europe the New World, whose riches over the next century would help make Spain the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. So there you go. Yeah. He, he, he died not knowing what he had done. It was almost like he got distracted. It almost seems like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And so the final one I've got uh, here for uh, this week in history is October 9th, 1936. Hoover Dam begins transmitting electricity to Los Angeles. I did not know that's what Hoover Dam did until I went to Las Vegas mm -hmm. and then went on a tour of Hoover Dam. I did not realize it was the power supply for a lot of Southern California. I didn't know that. Uh, um, now, not so much as it was back, you know, mm -hmm. originally, but so here we go. On this day in 1936, harnessing the power of the mighty Colorado River, Hoover Dam begins sending electricity over transmission lines spanning 266 miles of mountains and deserts to run the lights, radios, and stoves of Los Angeles. Initially named Boulder Dam, work on the dam was begun under President Herbert Hoover's administration, but completed as a public works project during the Roosevelt administration, which renamed it for Hoover. When it was finished in 1935, the towering concrete and steel plug was the tallest dam in the world and the powerful symbol of the new federal dedication to large-scale reclamation projects designing, designed to water the arid west. 
In fact, the electricity generated deep in the bowels of Hoover Dam was only a secondary benefit. The central reason for the dam was the collection, preservation, and rational distribution of most of that most precious of all Western commodities, water. Under the guidance of the Federal Reclamation Bureau, Hoover Dam became one part of a much larger multi-purpose water development project that tamed the wild Colorado River for the use of the growing numbers of Western farmers, ranchers, and city dwellers. Water had once flowed freely to the ocean, now was impounded in the 115-mile-long Lake Mead. Massive aqueducts channeled millions of gallons of Colorado River water to California, where it continues to this day to flow from Los Angeles faucets and irrigate vast stretches of fertile cropland. With Hoover Dam, the federal government set out to demonstrate what the aridity of the region once called the Great American Desert needed be no serious obstacle to its full settlement and development. However, as rapidly growing western cities like Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Phoenix today face increasing difficulties in obtaining the water they need, it remains to be seen if the Great American Desert might still dictate its own limits to western growth. All right, so now let's get officially into our guest tonight. So like I said before, and you've heard her voice already, we've got Nikki Tiemann. Now, my guess for Nikki last week was, well, it wasn't this eloquent last week, but it was crafting. I said, she has all these little projects she likes to do, and when we're sitting downstairs at her place and we're gaming, she's always making something. But what the word I was looking for was crafting. Okay, what did you say instead? What I just said, oh, she, oh, she has all these little, <laughs> all these little projects. But no, uh, so crafting is what I was looking for. So um, let's start out. Introduce yourself to everybody. Tell them what you do in the real world, because obviously this is not the real world. <laughs> and uh, and then let us know if, uh, if what I thought last week is what we're talking about tonight. So right. go ahead. So I'm Nikki Tiemann. Um I'm married to Brian, who has been a previous podcast with Chad here. Uh, we have two daughters. Um, in our spare time, we like to play games. We have a very extensive game collection. Uh, I believe it's over 900 games, including expansions. Um, I do crafts, like Chad mentioned. Uh, we like to go to the cottage and do kayaking, fishing, things like that. Um, maybe not so much fishing. Don't like to take the fish off the hook. but Don't like... <laughs> <laughs> See, I just now, catch them. Brian takes them. <laughs> I, I love fishing, but I can't eat fish. So it's kind of a wasted motion for me, but I, I still tend to go out. I'll go fishing and I'll, and I'll catch and release. I mean, if I catch something worth keeping, usually there's somebody along that'll eat it, but most of the time I don't catch anything. We, we throw it. everything back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I do with 99% of the fish I catch. <laughs> yeah, most of ours are too small anyway, but uh, let's see. What else? Um, I sell drugs for a living. Um, as a pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to do with that, but okay. And uh, I must say that the best, most interesting benefit of my current job is I get free use of the Rosetta Stone program. So I'm reteaching myself German for okay. fun. So that's... German for fun. Yeah. You know, German yeah. is one of those languages. And like I said, my daughter just went to Germany. She mm-hmm. speaks German. She's been taking German classes for, well, this is her sixth year. So she's in mm-hmm. German six. Oh, wow. And um, it just seems like they're angry all the time. <laughs> Sounds like they're angry and they like to spit a lot. Well, well, Brian is doing the French Rosetta program, which we purchased for our daughter who's not using it. Okay. And Makes sense. She's in French class. Yeah. And he said that sometimes it won't understand him, so he has to use an outrageous French accent. And then it works. <laughs> 
And so I found that sometimes it doesn't understand me when I'm doing German. So I do angry German voice and then it works. <laughs> <laughs> See, but you got to remember my idea of what German sounded like came from Hogan's Heroes when I was a oh, kid, okay. you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, Colonel Klink, you yeah. know, and it was the worst German accent ever. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know any better. I no, mean, you no. know, so. Yeah. All right. So uh, what are we talking about? Was I right with crafting? You were not right with crafting. Of course not. <laughs> I am now over nine. Okay. Um, as far as crafting, though, I do cross stitch um, quilting. I've been in a lot, a lot of quilting lately, um, and a lot of other types of crafting. Yeah, don't too, you do that hook thing? Oh, the latch hook. Latch oh, hook. Kind of regretfully, it's not one of my favorite things to do. Okay. <laughs> I was working in that VW rug and for Brian. And what do you call that stuff? Like you last year at Christmas time, you were making these. I don't know if they were ornaments or whatever, but you were pushing stuff in the... Oh, I was making some um, cupcake ornaments out of styrofoam and sequins. Yeah. They're yeah. very hard on your fingers to do that. I, so. It looked like it. I yeah. mean, it did not look like fun, to be honest with you. Some some of those projects kind of sit around for a while until I get the gumption to do them again. Yeah, it's like when Nikki and I... My, my wife is also Nikki. Not this Nikki, but another Nikki. Um, Nikki and I, when we first got married, you know, of course, when you get married, there's no money, you know, especially she was still in college and I was working retail. So, uh, we bought a bunch of these glass, uh, bulbs and some really cheap paint and we painted, Mm -hmm. you know, Christmas scenes or winter scenes Uh, on the outside or on the outside. Yeah. And, um, we still have them and we still use some of them and it, it was kind of a neat concept, but I was watching you stick those things in that and it just... I'm just sitting there going, my thumbs hurt, and I'm not even doing it. Once I tried using um, the empty balls and then putting paint on the inside, like metallic glitter paint. Oh, okay. And, and you're supposed to take the ball then and swirl it after you put the paint in. It didn't work. So. See, I've heard the same thing you do that. You melt down crayons. Oh, okay. And you dump one or two or three colors in there, and then you kind of swirl it around. And it always looks cool. We've never tried it. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it, and it's going to turn out gray. There you go. Well, you know, I could just throw up my topic. We could talk crafting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. that. No, no, that's okay. But I have prepared for this. Oh. Um, extensively. And in fact, I, from what I hear, I've prepared more for this than Trump has for his debate. That doesn't take much. <laughs> yeah, okay. Are we talking politics again? No. Okay. I don't talk politics. Oh, good. <laughs> We're going to talk about swinging. Swinging. <laughs> As in... Now, the first thing when I hear swinging is I think, you know, um, taking my kids to the park, putting them on a swing and pushing them back and forth or sitting out on the porch somewhere with well, my wife. Well, that's what it is. It's a swing we're going to put out in our backyard. Okay. Yeah, because Brian talked to you about that on his podcast, right? No. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> no, actually, we're going to be talking about family history research. Oh, <laughs> she does this. This is actually interesting because we we play a lot of different games. And one of the things we do almost every week is we get together as a group and we play these role-playing games. Now, if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that, that's kind of the thing, the kind of the stuff we do. Um, we don't play Dungeons and Dragons because, honestly, her husband, Brian, hates Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know why. So true. But um, he does. And so we play, but those style of games. And one of them we played at one time was called Hill Folk. And in Hill Folk, what you do is you spend your time during character development, 
figuring out how you're related to everybody else in the group. And then basically you're on a soap opera set in whatever time you put it in. Well, Nikki took the time then to go ahead and <laughs> put together a family tree. And as we named other characters that were not quote unquote in the show, she would add them into the family tree. And it was interesting and it was <laughs> different, but I mean, it's not anything I would ever do. I put it on Ancestry.com too. You put our... Yes, so I, <laughs> so I could print it off and show you guys the chart. <laughs> now, can anybody else see that on Ancestry? Yeah, if they... Well, it's, see, the thing is they're not going to be able to link to it. Because, okay. Um, usually you only find trees when you have a common relative. Right, and none of those that, should be uh, common. And if those exactly. are common, to, if any of those people are common to anybody, I kind of feel sorry for those people. <laughs> right. So I, I, if someone might accidentally find it somehow, but really they... And they're going to look at it and go, what's this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me about your topic. I know you do this a lot with mm -hmm. your own family. Yep. Okay. So. Okay. So uh, so I started uh, this research. Um, I've always kind of, oh, and by the way, I meant to bring you some Butterbrickle ice cream tonight, but I was not able to find any. <laughs> oh, you weren't able to find, I'm like, you found somewhere. No. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, we, we both really like butter brickle ice cream, and we made a um, a text promise that if either of us found it somewhere, we would tell the other person because you can't find it anywhere. So that's another topic, I guess, right? Well, I did an ice cream topic. Already. I know, I know, that's where I got that from. So, okay. So anyway, um, my cousins about uh, in 2012 um, contacted me. Now, these are two cousins that I grew up with really closely. Okay. And they were doing their family history research, and they had put a tree on Ancestry.com. And they gave me their password to their tree and said, uh, load in your family's information, birth date, you know, right, wedding right. dates, things like that. So I started playing with it, and it was really addicting. So I kept going. I put Brian in there, Brian's dad and Brian's mom, and and they're like, um, Nikki, we we don't need Brian's family in there. So <laughs> so I took it off. <laughs> so you're like, forget you, I'm making my own. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so um, it's something I've always kind of been interested in, you know, as a kid, either in like Girl Scouts or school, you always at some point have to make a family tree. Mm -hmm. And that was, excuse me, always intriguing to me. And I was very close to my mom's dad, my uh, grandpa Herbie. He was a very important person in my life. Okay. He was always seemed very wise to me. Um, he had great stories. He was always funny. Um, so he, he was always intriguing to me. His, um, dad's side came from Germany and his wife, my grandma Adeline, both of her sides came from Germany. So I grew up knowing we were German, Okay. which is why I took German in high school. Makes sense. And why we're learning it now. But, uh, so he, so that was always fascinating to me. He could say a little bit of German, and I, I was always interested in that. Um, one one thing I regret is that I always thought it was too late to start researching. Like, I've already missed generations or mm -hmm. people I need to talk to have already passed. Right. But it's never too late to start. The longer okay. you wait, the worse it gets. You know, so. Yeah. So it just yeah. was an opportune time. I have an aunt on my mother's side who has done it all, like, in notebooks. Like, she's got a family tree, and she's got pictures, and she's got all this stuff. And, you know, I've looked through it, and it's like, well, that's really neat, but I don't know. It's, it's really bulky, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing that Ancestry makes it so it's not so bulky. Yes. 
Although I do Until you print it out. Until you print it. <laughs> I'm not printing this one anytime soon. <laughs> um, not in its entirety. I, I, I'd hate to see how many pages that would be. Uh, but I have some files. I brought some books along tonight as sources. Um, I don't have a big uh, area that I need to put the, um, that I need to store things in because I don't have a lot of paper things. Right, right. When I do history research at a place, um, I, I started out with paper records, writing and information, but then I started where I could taking pictures with a phone. Brian bought me a scanner um, that you scan across the page. Um, so, so I don't have a lot of paper. I right. just take those digital images and then enter it into the tree. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but yes, you could have a lot of books, you know. That... So let's, let's, let's look at it this way. Now, if somebody wanted to go out to Ancestry, I know they're always doing these free days or you can mm -hmm. do so many searches for free or something, which tells me that somewhere in there they're charging you. Yes. So the, uh, I believe you can do a seven day free trial. You can use Ancestry for free all of the time. So you could start one. You could put your own Hill Folk Tribe family <laughs> on there. Oh boy, can I? <laughs> you can. And the thing is, it'll give you hints. Well, not for your Hill Folk people because they don't really right, exist. Right. But it'll give you hints. Um, you, and they'll tell you what the hint is, but they won't really let you look at the hint until you've paid. Okay. And I believe there's a seven day free trial when you first sign up. Do they do they then been, just give you more than hints during that seven day free trial? You always get hints. The hints are the little leaf that pops up on the person. Um, so you always get hints, but in the seven days you can look at them, and if you don't pay after that, then they you, go away. They just become little leaves. They're they're still there as hints, and it will say, uh, you know, so and so born this day, but you can't go in and actually look at the physical. Okay. Okay. Document. So then I. I wish I knew off the top of my head how much it costs. It's every time I go to a hint that's a world hint. Right now, I just have the USA version. Okay. Um, it tells me I can sign up for six months. Regular price would be one hundred and fifty dollars for the world version, okay. which okay. is more. Um, but they're willing to give to me for a discounted ninety nine dollars for the six months. When I when I signed up the first time, and my my thing expires in October, so I might do something a little different. But when I signed up the first time, I did the whole world thing. Okay. But I wasn't ready to research it. So I didn't have very many people popping up with world hints. Okay. So it was kind of a waste at the time. So I kind of knocked it back to just the USA stuff. But now there's many more people that I keep getting all these England, Germany, Canada hints. So I might go for that world one. Okay. What I have been doing in the past, though, because this, it's... Kind of a come and go kind of thing. Like I get really into it for a while and then I don't. You get burnt out. You get burnt out or it's summertime or you're on vacation or whatever and you kind of end up doing other things like quilting. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> so, I, I often find myself thinking, I should really be writing my newest thing that I'm going to do for D&D, &D, but gosh damn it, I just want to quilt. Exactly. <laughs> so I know how you feel. Yep. So what I do, what I've done in the past is when my um, subscription runs out. I, or I let it expire, or I, you know, I say, no, right. don't renew it. And then you wait a couple months or several weeks even, and then they'll send you emails for discounted pricing. Oh, okay. So so you're playing the system. Yes, and I've done that over the last couple of years. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I mean, obviously they know people are going to do that. Yeah. I mean, once it happens the first time, you may not do it the first or second time on purpose because like, I don't want this to go away. I don't want to lose everything I've done. 
And you won't lose and it. You, and yeah, I was gonna, yeah. just going to ask Your you. Your tree is there. You can go in and add people. Right. You can enter anything you want to. It's just that you can't add their hints. You can see right. all the hints available for the people, but you can't read them. Right. So <laughs> then, you know, and then you're like, you know, it expires. And then like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks later, they send you this email. And you're like, yeah, hey. And the next time it comes around, because I've done stuff like that too. And you're just like, oh, I'm just going to let it go. And then... Five weeks later, you get there, and you're like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, they, they've got to know that they happens. Do. Yeah. I mean. They do. So, that just tells me that they're charging you too much the first time around, and you might as well wait for the discounted price. Yep. <laughs> Very true. And there's uh, there's other sites that you can do it for free, um, but being that that's the one I started on, it seems to work really well. I know my way around it really well. Um, and I also have the Family Tree Maker program on the computer, and a few years ago, Ancestry.com bought that program, that company. Okay. I don't think they support it anymore. I have a 2014 version, but it syncs with my tree online. Okay. And the biggest difference is the, the program itself is much more powerful. So I can, I, you sync it with online, and then I can use the program to generate reports. Okay. On Ancestry, I can't do that. So I can give you a report of anyone who was involved in a certain place. I could do reports on any, um, like, uh, so you could be like, I want to know who in the family tree lived in Cleveland. Yes. And it'll it'll tell you, it'll Uh, say nobody because Cleveland sucks. Cleveland Con- does suck. <laughs> contrary to the song that says Cleveland rocks, I've been there. Uh, yeah, we had problems at a toll in Cleveland where we kind of snuck around a toll booth and then we had to pay the whole toll. So our song in the trip was Cleveland sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you say that. So if any, anybody here from Cleveland is listening... <laughs> don't, I, go, don't sneak through a toll booth. I live in Wyoming. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so what were we talking? Oh yes. Um, so one of the th- other things that the program does is it will generate. Right now, I generated an air report. Okay. And let me just back up and say I have over twenty-two thousand people in my tree. And and I'll explain that in a little bit. Okay. Why I have so many. Um, but this air report is three hundred pages long, and I've gotten it down to two hundred and eighty pages. And it basically I have it set just to find major errors. So that would be missing birth dates, missing marriages. Um, duplicate people. It'll tell you, like, okay. hey, this person might be in your tree twice. It'll tell you if someone was born before their parents were 13. So obviously you have a date wrong or you have the wrong person. Okay. And it will tell you uh, if you have someone in your tree that somehow got unattached. And th- and that happens. Like you delete, oh, this person's wrong. So you delete them. And then, and you, then you lose this branch of the tree. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So, so now how does it do with things like people that are adopted? And I ask this because my dad was adopted. Now, he was adopted when he was two by my grandpa. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother is his birth mother. So how would that, how does does it deal well, with things like that? Well, you can select, when you select a relationship. Uh, but first of all, if you put, just put him in the tree and you have the parents in there and you add him as their son, mm-hmm. it shows as a biological relationship. But then you can go in and you can switch it to adopted. Now, okay, but like, it's still, so my it, dad's birth dad, uh-huh. all we know about him is because my dad won't talk about it, is that his last name was Whitaker. Okay. But that's it. So, I mean, what are the chances that a program like that is going to be able to go out and find this guy? Well, it helps if you have some information. 
Um, so if <laughs> I have my dad's birth date and that his last name was Whitaker. Okay. Well, so th- there'd be a couple of things you could do. Um, you could, do you know where he was born? My dad? Yes. Yes. Okay. You could go to the courthouse, if, assuming, let's just say it's Marathon County here. Go to the Marathon County Courthouse, and they have a digital computer where they have everything indexed through. You put in the name, and it tells you which book the birth is recorded in, and then you go pull oh, okay. that book, and you could look that way. Uh, so that would be an option. Okay. Um, well, it's not Marathon County, but it's okay, not far but, away. But so. as an example. Right, yeah. And uh, each, each uh, county has their own... Each county and state have their own things. For example, Brian, when he went to Gen Con in Indiana, um, he did some research because his family came through Indiana. Okay. And he went to the Indiana, the courthouse, um, Pulaski, Pulaski County. I think they pronounce okay. it Pulaski there. Um, and they're like, oh, that, those records are all at the library. Go help yourself. So he went to the <laughs> library and he could just copy them and take pictures and everything. But in Wisconsin... We have to go to the courthouse, and you fill out a form. I think you have to show an ID. You have to write down names you're researching. I always put, like, three down, and then I just research whatever I wanted to, you know. <laughs> you can't have any pens, because they don't want you marking in the books. Oh, that makes you sense. You have to use pencils. Uh, you cannot have any recording devices. Um, in Wassa here at the Marathon County, um, they will let you take your person, but you can't pull your phone out. Because okay. you can take a picture of something. So why don't they want you to take a picture? Um... Probably, probably due to privacy. Other other places like, um, I think it was Wood County or Oneida County, I had to leave my purse outside with them. I couldn't even take my purse in. Okay. In Marathon County, there's some there's some uh, books that you can just look at. You go to the shelf, you pull off what you need, you look at it. There's some that are marked that you cannot access, and you have to have one of the workers pull it for you and read the information they're allowed to read. There's some, and I asked, oh. I asked one once, and I don't usually bother them to do that because they're, they're always really busy there. Right. So I asked them once, well, what kind of information are you not able to read? And she said, well, it depends on the laws at the time of the record. And she said, for example, on a birth record, if it lists, there might be a case where it says uh, the mother had three previous children, and that might have been restricted at the time, restricted information. So even if, so yeah, let's say it was 1919 and it was illegal for you to know that this mother had given birth before mm-hmm. that law still is in effect correct today as far as i understand it yes okay yeah. okay so and, and if you look through the books you know that what they record changes you know through the mm-hmm. years um, and then in oneida county i was not able to pull any um books off the shelf myself the woman had to pull them all off for me and then read to me uh, the information <laughs> that had to be a long afternoon i only asked her for four after i realized that <laughs> and brian and the girls were at walmart or menards in rhinelander or something so i didn't want to keep them waiting right 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 <laughs> but so so anyway so just a couple different things from place to place uh how they're handled a little differently okay. but that's a good place to start with your research too if you know some names um you can go there research those names and find those books yeah because that's one of those things I've I've talked to aunts and uncles on the lowdown, and nobody talks about it. Hmm. So I don't know. Well, you could. Um, we can try this later, too. We can <laughs> pop a name in there that you know, and we can see if any hints come up. The more the more information you have, the more hints it'll give you. Um, sometimes you might have to go and purposely search specific records for hints. Right. But usually if you put a name and if you have a date, then... It sounds like an awful lot of work. Not really. Well, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I love um, well. As you know, with our game collection, I have kind of a collect them all mentality. Right. So when I start finding people, I can't just ignore them. I have that's, to put them in. That's why you have twenty two thousand people in your family tree. Well, well, that, we'll get back to that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but I also love like typing and data entry. And you are one sick, sick person. No, spreadsheets <laughs> and all that. Can, and my daughter's the same way. So oh. she loves spreadsheets. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. But so I, I like that that sort of thing. Okay. Even though I use a computer all day at work, I use a computer in my day off. <laughs> yeah, you see, I go, I, I use a computer all day at work, and then I come home and I'm just like, I, I don't want to look at a computer anymore. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> And then there's my wife who's like, she's never off a computer or her phone or yep. <laughs> something. And she she actually, I'm going to digress here for a second, but she actually downloaded this app to get her to try to train herself not to be on the phone so much. So what it does is you open this app and you plant a seed. Yep. My daughter has that one. Oh, too. okay. And yeah. then depending on how, and and it's a tree. And if you, if you <laughs> use your phone before the tree's done growing, you kill the, the tree. tree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, has why, it gotten that bad? Why don't you just not use the phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, other ways, like the research, if you start, it's basically you start with what you know, your mm -hmm. local um, information. And when my grandpa passed away, we had a whole bunch of funeral cards that he'd collected over the years, uh, newspaper clippings of obituaries. My mom had a lot of that stuff, too. So you start putting that information in the tree, and that's when the hints start generating. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, now that's not a thing we do anymore, you know? I couldn't tell you if I had a funeral card around the house somewhere, you know? Oh, you well, always get them when you go to the funeral, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just, I've never been one for collecting that kind of thing, oh, okay. you know, so. Well, and, and the kind of shows if you're like into the family history or not people who tend to be more into that will collect things like that yeah i'm really not into my family <laughs> <laughs> or it's history huh <laughs> does that sound bad yeah, it did but that we're laughing about so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> and um, i'm pretty safe i don't think most of my family is going to listen to this because they're gonna be like you're doing a what what <laughs> how does it oh it's on a computer yeah. <laughs> no no the other things, too, um, that I did early on was I would go to cemeteries. Okay. And that kind of creeped my kids out. They were a little younger at the time, of course. And we actually took trips, and we went to Yogi Bears in Fremont. Okay. Stayed there, did some cemetery tours. and. You know, it, I, I actually like walking through cemeteries and reading the, the headstones. Yep. Um, there's, I don't know, have you have you been in the cemetery, the big cemetery on Grand Avenue? Pine Grove, yes, yeah. several times. Okay, there is a section in the back, mm -hmm. kind of to the right-hand side, mm -hmm. where there is a bunch of graves, mm -hmm. and they all died within a, I don't know, six, eight-month period. Okay. And they're mostly teenagers. Oh, that's... And they're all, they're all flat on the ground. Okay. But Nikki and I found that one time when we were walking through there, and we were like... I wonder what hit the area. Yeah. You know? It makes you wonder. Yeah. yeah definitely. But. Um, yeah, I have a, I bought a map from that um, cemetery. I have a small eight and a half by 11, but the cemetery is so big. It's huge. You need a more detailed map. So I have one that I laminated that I roll out. It's okay. pretty large. Okay. That was like 10 bucks. Um, I've also gone to their office when they're open 
and then you can ask them to look for people, and they'll tell you where they are. Okay, okay. So then you go, and even if you have the map, it's hard to find in that cemetery. Well, you know, have you ever done one of the tours in there where they um they, they dress up, period, and they tell you about founders of Wassa? The ones I've heard of them, there? but I have not. I've been on a couple of them, and um, they're actually really kind of cool. They tell mm-hmm. you about the people, you know. They and- pretend to be... They, yeah, some of them pretend, um, and and it's it's kind of neat, um, you know, because like um, Augustus August Kickbush mm-hmm. is buried there, um, and a few of the other, you know, I mean, when you look at the street names in Wausau, they are named after people. They you know? are, yep. A lot <laughs> so. of them are named after Civil War um, people too. Yep, yep. And it's funny that you mentioned August Kickbush because I had joined our genealogy uh, club at church. So I got to research our church records. Okay. And um, so remind me to tell you about my mom's baptism. I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But um, the Kickbushes um, are part of the genealogy club. And they couldn't find a connection to August Kickbush, if I remember this correctly. But we had a picture of him. And if the the real living Kickbush in our club did not look anything like him, I, he, they looked exactly alike. Really? The only thing that was missing was a goatee. You put a goatee on him, it yeah, would have been the same say, guy. Yeah, I was because every picture I've seen of August <laughs> Kickbush, he's got that huge goatee. Yeah, yep. It's, yep. I mean, it's very well trimmed and everything, but it was huge. Huge, yep. And they, they were like looking at him in turn, looking at the screen, looking at him again, because <laughs> it was during a presentation. And everybody's sitting there going, grow a goatee. Yeah, yep. <laughs> So back to my mom's baptism. So I was researching the um, the books, and I found my, my uncle's baptism. I found... You know, our birds, um, a whole bunch of things, and their confirmation of my uncle and my mom. But I could not find my mom's baptism. So I went back to her and I said, were you baptized? Yeah, I was baptized. Like, are you sure? (laughs) You're not listed in a book at at St. Paul's. And she said, no, I'm sure I was baptized. Well, I found out she was baptized at a different church. Okay. So I'm thinking something must have happened where they didn't have a minister available or something. So, so yeah, it was a little, she didn't even know she wasn't baptized there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But that was, that was kind of interesting. interesting so sometimes yeah. you find things you don't even know. Um, but then, so we've, I've gone out to the Zion Church Cemetery towards Anoa. That's where my grandpa's okay. relatives settled. And then my grandma's relatives were from the Stratford area. Okay. They were, uh, so my grandpa's German ancestors came over in the 1860s. My grandma's German ancestors came in the 1880s. So okay. So they're much more recent. Okay. Settled by Stratford and uh, from this Ebenezer United Church of Christ uh, church and graveyard. And when you go through it, everyone in there is pretty much related. Okay. So that, that was kind of interesting. Um, for example, one of the last names is Frankenstein. And there's That's Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're a big family, and then there was the Weismans, and they were a big family. Okay. And Ida Frickenstein married a Weisman, and Ida Weisman married a Frickenstein. And once I figured that out, things made much more sense. Right, right. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. And then the cemetery um, that we went to by Fremont, we went to Yogi Bears a lot as a kid by okay. Fremont. Okay. And didn't really know it, but the cemetery pretty much right across the street. We had a whole bunch of relatives buried there. Oh, okay. And they had owned the area. Um, they had owned land in the area, I think, even where the campground is. Yeah, see, now, my mom's side of the family is from the Wassa area, actually, Rib Mountain. Um, my grandpa owned, oh, I don't know, it was a it was a nice stretch out on a KK. 
Okay. You know, there's that area where there's um, a small neighborhood, mm-hmm. and there's that big fancy house across the street. Mm-hmm. Right beyond that, all the way out to Astor Road, he owned all of that. And oh, back okay. 40 acres. So, and then as the kids got older, and as he got older, he sold some of it off to his kids, and now a lot of those kids have gone. I think there's only maybe 120 acres left in the family. But, um, you know, and he was from, if if I've got this right, he was from the Stevens Point area. That's where his family settled. And my grandmother, if, if I've got the story correct, was first-generation American, but she was conceived on the boat from England over. <laughs> <laughs> well, my fourth great-grandfather was born on the boat um, oh, like he was from a- Ireland. Well, there you go. Yes, in so, 1790, 1791. Yeah, Grandma, well, it would have been in the, probably in the 19-teens, late teens, mm-hmm. early 20s when they came over. Oh, okay. So, recent then. now Grandpa's family's been here a lot longer, but... And on my dad's side, I really don't know. Um, I know that they're from the Tomahawk area. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in Antigo, um, which if you're not from Wisconsin, don't go there. It's it's not a good place. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aunt Gail, but I just don't like Antigo. <laughs> She's probably not listening either, but in case she is. Um, but, um, you know, so I don't really know much on that side of the family, but that's something I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to sit down. Now, talking to my dad's like talking to a wall. He's just, he doesn't care, mm-hmm. you know. So I want to sit down with like my Aunt Gail or maybe my Uncle Joe and, and just sit there and find out what I can find out about the family because I don't know anything, mm-hmm. you know. So Well, let me share a similar story with you. Okay. My dad found out later on in life that his dad was not his dad. Okay. And uh, his... He has. He grew up in a family of seven. He All had right. one older brother, and then him, a younger brother, and four younger sisters. The older brother and him are pure, full brothers. Okay. Um, the rest of them are all half-siblings. And he found out that he has, had a different dad. Okay. And he had married and had a family of his own. And in that family, there was another half-brother and four more half-sisters. Okay. So he has like a mirror image side. His mom's side and his dad's side with half-siblings are exactly the same. But he he's talked to he had talked to him on the phone once or twice, but never felt comfortable enough to meet him. I mean, he was in his 40s when he found out. Okay. And I kind of imagined myself writing a letter to him. I think about it like in the shower or something, like introducing us. And I, I never wanted to overstep my bones. Right, you know, right. I didn't want to disrespect my dad. Uh, my uncle, who just passed away this um, summer, uh, the older one, um, he, had, he had actually met him a couple times. And it's just amazing when you look at the pictures of my dad, my uncle, and my grandpa. They look so much alike. It, it, you can say, oh my God, yes, they are definitely related. Right. So I struggled with, do I put this on the tree? I mean, this is the truth. It, you know, it's something that happened in the past. I had no control over it. Right, my dad right. had no control over it. But I don't like inaccuracy, and I don't like secrets, you know, in that regard. It, it is what it is. Right. So I put it on the tree, expecting to be challenged uh, by some of those relatives. I'd heard that some of the half-siblings were okay with the idea, and others didn't want to believe it at all. Um, but I've never been challenged about it. I've been challenged about some other things, but not about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, uh, so people can challenge you? Oh, you can... If, you, um, if you're a paying member... You can email other people 
okay. you can connect to their trees as some of the hints. And uh, you can say, hey, I see some things on your tree, and you can contact someone. And we can talk about that in a little bit, too. Okay. I have some examples of some challenges that people have. Well, okay. one woman in particular. But, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, it was. we can also talk about the DNA portion later, too. But it was kind of really neat to see that, yes, there was DNA evidence that I am related to that side of the family. So it is a okay. true thing. Okay. So that it was pretty exciting, you know, to, to do that and to see um, trace his family tree with this new branch basically mm -hmm. and find that they're from the Netherlands originally and they settled in Minnesota and some of them were responsible for getting railroad there or whatnot. Oh, and, wow. That's kind of yeah, neat. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of, a lot of cool things like that. All right. So, one thing I've always wondered about this, mm -hmm. um, in, in general, but in more specific, in your case, have you found anybody in your family tree that would be considered famous? Okay, so let's talk about why I have twenty two thousand people in the tree. Okay, <laughs> this is a good segue. This is a, this is feeling <laughs> like my question's going to be ignored, but that's no, okay. No, no. Oh, this has to do this with that. This has to do with it. Okay. Yes. Um, so the quote I gave you before about the. Um, gentleman who was injured in the Civil War. Yes. His name is Major Lemuel Abijah. Abijah? Okay. There's a lot of names that are kind of strange. Um, so he was the one who was wounded so badly. Um, right. He wrote um, this book. Uh, he compiled, as, I don't know, several generations of this Abbott family tree. Okay. My 10th great aunt... Your 10th great aunt. 10th great aunt. So this is very tenuous. Okay. Abigail Lovejoy uh, married a Nehemiah Abbott. And this okay. was back in 1690. Okay. So I've grown back a couple years. A few years, yes. <laughs> so uh, I found this reference that listed her in this marriage. And it was this um, Descendants of George Abbott of Raleigh, Massachusetts compilation of like 13 or 14 generations of people. Okay. And... I started adding the people to the tree, and I found a couple famous people, and I kept going. And because I have that collect-them-all mentality, I couldn't stop halfway through. I had to complete the whole thing. So do you play Pokemon? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know you have to collect them all. Yeah, too. yeah, I know. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so I kept going, and I kind of also did it. Well, it was fun because I liked the data entry. And I also did it because I thought I was doing a service to other people who are in that family more directly right. than I'm putting me in information in there that they don't have. So he was the one who did this um, in 19 or 18. I'm not sure when he started 1892. He started compiling. It. Okay. And so I followed this huge history of this Abbott family. So they're only related to me through my 10th grade aunt's marriage. Okay. Okay. So uh, famous people in that tree and that's why I have 22,000 people, because I'm sure they probably take up, like, two-thirds of my tree. Oh, okay. You know, or maybe a half. I don't know. Um, but they have um, Dr. David Livingston, as in as Dr. In Livingston, Livingston, I, I presume. presume. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he is uncle of the husband of the fourth great-niece of the husband of the tenth of my tenth great-aunt. Don't try to follow it. I'd have to write it on paper. <laughs> Thank um, God this is a podcast and I don't have to make diagrams. <laughs> well, I thought there was a PowerPoint with this. What are you no, talking no, about? No. And then my head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was regarded, I found some fun facts about him, Okay. as Africa's greatest missionary, yet he is recorded as having converted only one African to Christianity. 
Well, there you go. Sometimes it's not, maybe it's not quantity, quantity it's quality. And he, it was said that had he been able to demand rain of his God, he would have been more successful in, convert, in converting more people. <laughs> you know? You know, yeah, that makes sense in Africa. He completely lost contact with the outside world for six years, but was ill most of the four last years of his life. Only one of his 44 letters made it to Zanzibar. Um, in 1869, Henry Morgan Stanley had been sent to find him by the New York Daily, or New York Herald newspaper. And when he found him, he said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And the rest, as is, they say, is history. history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, Nathan Hale. As in the... Uh, the soldier and the, spy for yeah. the Continental Army. Yeah, yep. okay. And he said, I only regret that I have but one life to live for my country. He is the uncle of the wife of the fourth cousin seven times removed. That one's a little easier to follow. That is, yep. Uh, President Ulysses S. Grant. I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, and I went to Grant School, so I thought that was fitting. Uh, third great nephew of the wife of the first cousin, ten times removed. President Rutherford B. Hayes. Okay. Um, and then one of the few men, and I couldn't go back and find him, because when you have a tree so big, it's hard to find people when you're trying to. Uh, one of the few men accused in the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, okay. Is tree. Uh, Noah Webster. Of the dictionary Of the dictionary fame, fame. Yeah. all right. He, um, and this was interesting, he was very anti-British, and he was a teacher, and he didn't like the fact that they were using the British textbooks to teach oh, okay. kids. So he came up with his own, um, based on New England pronunciation and spelling, and that is, and they were used for like 100 years, so that's why our language is spelled differently than British. Oh, okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah. And then in 1807, he began writing um, an American Dictionary of the English Language, which reformed the language, making it closer to the New England roots. Right. And and he wrote that with some chick named Miriam, right? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> now, I think um, it was a guy with the last name Miriam. Miriam, yeah. The, uh, the guy that founded Appleton, Wisconsin, and the, universe, the Lawrence University in Appleton. Bob Appleton? <laughs> He's uh, in the tree also. Okay. Actually, I think Appleton was his wife's maiden name, if I remember it correctly. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I found this one very recently. George Francis Abbott. Do you know who he is? No. He won a Tony and a Pulitzer. Um, he was the one who did All Quiet on the Western Front, and a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. Oh, okay. Yep. And then um, more closely in my trees, more specifically, so forget all these Abbott people. Okay, no more Abbots. No more Abbots. Um, I found a Civil War soldier. It, I guess one of the reasons I kind of wanted to keep going with the Abbott side was because there was a lot more Revolutionary War history, Civil War history. Right. I wasn't getting that from 1860 and 1880 right. German immigrants. Right, know? because they, they, well, for one, they settled in Wisconsin, which was really far removed from the Civil War. Right. Yeah. I mean, we did send some regiments, but yeah. nothing happened here. Right. Yeah. So... So, um, but there was one relative, and I couldn't, again, I couldn't find him uh, to prepare for this, but I found him a couple weeks ago. Uh, did you see the movie Cold Mountain? No. Okay. So in the beginning of Cold Mountain, there's a, a battle, it's based on a real battle in the Civil War. Okay. Where they blow up a mine. I believe the unions blow up a mine the Confederates are in. Okay. Uh, but one of my relatives was in that battle. Okay. And survived. So that was interesting. On the Union side, I'm, I'm assuming? I believe so, yeah. yeah. I haven't really found any Confederacy. Um, the Abbott family has some people that were kind of from the Virginia area, and some of them went south. But right. for the most part, 
anyone in Maitreya's like northern half. Well, the thing with the Civil War too was that the country really didn't look at itself as a whole. It was all these different members of a group. Like mm-hmm. you were, you were more committed to your state in most cases than you were to the north or the south. That's true. Which is why um, Robert E. Lee, who was offered the Union to be the head of the Union Army before he told Lincoln to pound it, and he went <laughs> to the South because he was a Virginian, mm-hmm. and Virginia went to the South. So in his mind, it was more about Virginia than it was about the United States as a whole. And I believe he was a West Point grad, too. He was. He? Yep. 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 I did. I read, to help me understand so how these regiments and everything worked, I did read... Um, Civil War for Dummies. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> they have and a Civil War for Dummies, yes, huh? Yes, yes. It's very interesting. Um, and then this is my most exciting uh, famous person in my tree. This is my sixth great aunt. Okay. So this is more direct. Sixth great aunt. Yes. So yeah. what does that really mean? Okay, so. I, I, I always get confused. What's the difference between a first cousin, a second cousin, a third cousin, and a cousin removed? Okay. So, um, for example, my cousin Kristen is my first cousin. Right. I get first cousins. I okay. didn't get second cousins because they're the kids of your first cousins. Not quite. So my daughter, <laughs> you're close. My daughter, Vanessa. Yep. Kristen has her son, Alex. Yep. They're second cousins. Okay. Because they're, if you can, if you put people on a page and put them on the same level, they're second cousins. Okay. Alex would be my first cousin once removed. Okay, he's the son, son of my first cousin. cousin. Okay. Yes. So when you have a cousin or a great aunt six times removed, that means it is... Well, you don't say it that way. It's just your sixth great aunt. So if you go up like six steps of grandparents, it'd be one of their siblings. Or five. five steps okay, so it's five generations back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. That's that what I needed sense? to know. Okay. Yep. okay. So let me read to you this. Uh, this lady is... Um, this is pretty exciting. No. I must say that I saw somewhere where there's a dis- they believe this m- might not be the right person because in colonial America, record keeping is actually better than you think it would be, but it still gets confusing because names are repeated and, right. and maiden names of women get dropped and lost very easily at the time. Um, but she is in my tree, and I was trying to verify today, uh, but I th- think there's some thought where some people might think that she might not be the right one in the tree. Okay, now so, you're reading from a book. I'm so reading like, from, yes. Yep. I'm reading from The History of Royalton, Vermont, part one. It's actually a two-volume book that Brian got me for Valentine's it's Day. It's pretty in blue. Yes, it's a, a reprint of a very old book. It's by Evelyn Wood Lovejoy, and Wood and Lovejoy are both in my tree, although I have not put her in the tree yet. Okay. <laughs> I have not connected her. But this is in regards to an event that happened to a lady named Hannah Handy. She was originally Hannah Hunter. And there's some discrepancy if it's hand, handy or hendy. Okay. I'll just say handy because it sounds better. Um, on the morning of the 16th of October, 1780, before the dawn of day, the inhabitants of Royalton, Vermont, were surprised by the approach of about 300 Indians of various tribes. Uh, the tribes were led by the Kaunawaga tribe and had left Canada, intending to destroy Newberry, a town in the eastern part of Vermont or Connecticut on the Connecticut River. A British lieutenant by the name of Horton was their chief commander, and one Lamott, a Frenchman, was his second. Their pilot or leader was a despicable villain by the name of Hamilton, not Alexander, um, who had been made prisoner by the Americans at the taking of Burgoyne in 1777. 
He had been at Newberry and Royalton the preceding summer on parole of honor, left the latter place with several others under pretense of going to survey lands in the northern part of this state, and went directly to the enemy. He was doubtless the, the first instigator of those awful depredations which were the bitter fruits of this expedition and ought to stamp his name with infamy and disgrace. And I'm going to skip several pages um, that describes the massacre and the horror and everything of this Indian raid. The okay. city, the town was burning and things like that. And several pages later, we get to our heroine. <laughs> um, this kind of this is kind of an interesting passage. All right. Um, a Mr. Chaffee, who lived at the house of Mr. Handy, so that's um, Hannah and her husband Robert, started early in the morning to go to the house of Mr. Elias Curtis to get his horse shed. On his way, he saw Mr. John Kent ahead of him, who was upon the same business. Wishing to put in his claim before Mr. Chaffee, he rode very fast and arrived at the house first. He had scarcely dismounted from his house, his horse, excuse me, when the Indians came out of the house, took him by the hair of his head, and pulled him over backwards. Seeing this, Mr. Chaffee immediately dismounted, jumped behind the shop, hastened away, keeping such a direction as would cause the shop to hide his retreat. Thus he kept out of sight of the Indians, effected his escape, and returned to the house of Mr. Handy. On receiving the alarm given by Mr. Chaffee, Mr. Handy directed his wife to take her little boy, about seven years old, and her little daughter, who was still younger, and hastened to one of their neighbors for safety. While he should go to Bethel, the town west of Royalton, and give the alarm at the fort. So first of all, um, in the anthology of the people that this lady has in, in her book, um, Hannah Hunter Handy, um, her parents listed do match my tree. Okay. So so we believe it is correct. Okay. Um, Robert Handy, the one that went to Bethel to sound the alarm, it's debated whether he actually made it or not. Um, okay. There's some evidence that his will was in probate several years later so that he probably did live, but other people said they never saw him again. Okay. Um, the lady who wrote this book interviewed Hannah um, about what happened. So I'm going to give you the short lowdown on what happened. Okay. I just kind of feel sorry for the guys. Like he had a race to get his horse shot and then ended up, you know, getting killed because he got there first, right. <laughs> essentially. Um, but so what happened was, and the children fit too. Um, Hannah, Hannah Hunter Handy in my tree has children that would have been the right ages of what I've just read. Okay. So she. Um, Started leaving to escape, and the Indians grabbed her son and took her son. And she started going away and then thought, no, I'm not going to turn and run. And she went to pursue them. She found the head British guy that was in charge of these troops, and she begged him to let her son go. Her son hasn't actually gotten back to camp yet. The Indians still had him. Okay. So she stayed there, pled her case, and this is what she told the writer of this book. Um, she actually interviewed her. Um, but she pled her case by, you know, the motherly stuff and all that. Right. And, and he, he said, well, I, I don't know. The Indians are kind of hard to control. I have no say over what they do or don't. But she convinced them to give her son back to her. Okay. So an, an older Indian kind of went after her with a, a um, I'm not sure, it was some sort of knife. Okay. Um, but she uh, held on to her son, and she not only saved her son, but nine other boys as well. Wow. Yeah. So there is a monument in Royal Verm and Royalton, Vermont, dedicated to her. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's much closer than those Abbott people, but right. But you know, and, and it's still it's a really neat story, and she's definitely a heroine. Mm -hmm. I mean, she may not be lauded in a way that you know some other 
historical figures are, but mm-hmm. that's a really cool story, and it, it's a really cool thing to have in your in your history. And that's it's that's what's so neat to find when I find these stories. Um, that's what makes it really exciting and makes you want to keep going. Right, right. You know, and I'll, I'll like find something really interesting and like, oh my goodness. Um, and that's a lot more interesting than finding out, oh, this uncle was in Leavenworth for, you know, stealing <laughs> pigs or whatever. Well, I do have a story like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with mystery, I'm sure every family does. You know, and I found this, I found this story not too long ago, and this is my grandma's cousin, um, if I can find my notes here, I'll give you the details. She has a lots of notes, people. <laughs> I have ten pages of outline. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think we're going to get to it all tonight, but uh, we're hitting the high points. We are, yes. Um, so my grandma's cousin was named Gartha. 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 And well, she, he was he she 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 she, yeah. she was she was destined for uh, a bad life with a name like that. <laughs> I think so <laughs> she was living in Seattle and. Um, there was a man that she was hanging out with who was married but separated, and she was not yet 18. Okay. Okay. And they were, um, he was being investigated for abducting her, and I think she probably went on her own accord, um, but they robbed several businesses. They stole an automobile. Okay. And then robbed the, this is 1937, robbed the Carton Drugstore for $18, Lindgren's Foot Fitters Store for $65. The Canadian Fur Company, twice, $25 each. The Mutual Loan Company, twice, $265 and $100. So they're working their way up. Yeah. Um, Stetson Shoe Company for $28. And the Fidelity Savings and Loan, which they did not list in a moment. They left a note at the Fidelity Savings and Loan that said, and this is from a newspaper clipping. Okay. This is our last job here, and I hope elsewhere. We have plenty of respect for you guys and realize our luck won't hold out forever. Hope you don't get us, but if you do, we won't cry. We've got it coming. Good hunting. So at first there, <laughs> is that awesome? Well, you know, and the, and the funny thing is, is okay, let's let's put this in perspective. So it was 1930s. Yes. So even though those amounts don't sound like much to you and I, yeah, I mean, laughable. But yeah, but then twenty five yeah. bucks, and especially the one where they got like two hundred and some dollars. Yeah. That that's a legitimate amount of money. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. So, at first they were using taxi cabs for getaways, but then they bought an automobile. Okay. Is this okay. before they stole one? Or? I, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, for her 18th birthday, she celebrated by aiding in the Fidelity Savings and Loan robbery. Well, you got to celebrate <laughs> the way you got to celebrate. Yes, Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> this is how they were caught, though. They were caught at a hotel under assumed names because the handwriting on the hotel ledger matched the handwriting in the note. Okay. Mm-hmm. So good investigative work there. Right, right, right yeah. yeah. Yep. Especially for the 30s. And then the last thing on them, uh, this was a quote from the newspaper clipping. The two were smartly dressed in gray spring suits as they were questioned. <laughs> spring gray. Spring gray. <laughs> Those don't seem like words that should go together, really. I mean, <laughs> but okay. All right. Well, I think we're at that point where... Is there any other highlights or big things that you wanted to yeah, talk about? Yeah, let me just um, take a look at my notes here really quick. I think I've hit most of the things. I was going to talk about censuses and how those worked. Um, so the censuses have come up as hints um, in Ancestry. Okay. And they list, uh, every 10 years they do one, and they list... Uh, or sometimes you get stuff in the mail, and then you have to go fill out a survey because... If you don't, they send you a letter that says, if you don't fill this up by this day, we can fine you. Right. 
I just got done filling ours out. Oh. So we got picked as a random household. Oh, nice. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so every 10 years, they would do a survey. They'd send people around. And every 10 years, the questions changed. So in the early time, they were just asking how many males live here. How many males between this age and this age, right. that age and that age. And then eventually started recording names of everyone. Um, and they're always different. Like, how long have you been married? When did you arrive? Where were your parents born? You know, things like that. Right. The 1890 census is missing because it was uh, lost in a fire. In a okay. Warehouse. I believe they recently found some of it. Okay. Uh, but I have not seen that come on to ancestry at all. Um, and the, the thing is, too, I can always say that that would have accurate information. But the censuses don't necessarily because it's however the person recording it it, filled it out, right? So if he didn't understand a name, he writes it down wrong. Or someone who, people will volunteer to add these to Ancestry when they come um, up for public, you know, and they might have transcribed something wrong. Um, The the censuses come out 72, 72 years after they're taken. That seems like a oddly random... (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) So I wanted to touch base on that a little bit. Um, Another thing I want to talk about really quickly is um, a mystery that was found in my tree. Um, One of my um, second or third cousins uh, was doing some research at the Wapaka County Courthouse. Okay. And on her tree, she listed an older sibling that my grandpa didn't have in my tree. Okay. Because my grandpa was the oldest. Uh, Turns out that his mom had a baby. There's no dad listed on the birth certificate. And this was in Wapaka County, and which is about 90 miles from us. Okay. Um, so I questioned her about it, and she said, no, I found this evidence. And she said, in the death records in Marathon County, you know, where I live. So I went to the Marathon County, and I looked her up, and there's a death record. But the mom's not listed as the mom. Her parents were listed as the parents. So it brings up a lot of questions. Like, who was the dad? Was it the same as the rest of the children that she eventually right. married? Um, was it a rape or, you know, something like that? Uh, the girl died at 16 months old and it says she's buried in Fenwood, which is west of Wassa. Right. Which there's no connection to Fenwood. So why would it say that? So I've searched Pine Grove Cemetery in Wassa. I've uh, called First Presbyterian Church and had them search their records for a baby girl about that time for a funeral. Uh, they didn't have anything. Okay. And I did that because that's where... Nettie eventually was buried through in the 60s, was that church. Okay. And then we went down to the Fremont area and checked the cemeteries down there because that's where her family was originally from. And I could not find any headstones. So I, I don't know where she's buried. Hmm. I don't even know her name um, because you can't take pictures uh, of the records. It looks to me like a capital E, like a Suvian. Never heard that name before. No. I've researched it thinking, like, was it some old Greek name or something? And I can't find anything. The state um, documents has her listed as Genevieve. So that's what I call her. Okay. It doesn't look like a G. So, okay. so that's a mystery. So I, I've done a lot of research. Can't find anything out about it. Interesting. Um, so that, yeah, that's that kind of... Could it be a mistaken identity kind of thing? Same I, name no. kind of thing? No. 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 Okay. No. And uh, the, the, other, um, the other mystery is my grandpa's uncle in the same family went missing from Wassa in 1936. Oh, okay. I think I found him in the 1940 census in Missouri because the rumor was that he just left. Um, but the 
his birth date's off by a year or two, so maybe someone reported it incorrectly. Maybe he lied so he couldn't be found. Right. You know, I'm not sure about that. Huh. So that's, you know, so you come up with kind of some of those things, too. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. with all the all the years of history, I mean, and, I mean, how far back have you gotten that you um, know is correct? That I know is correct, I would say the 1700s. 1700s? Yeah. So um, even in that, I mean, 1700s to today, that's 300 years. That's that's a lot of time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Brian's mom, um, I've copied from other people's trees. They have someone back to 1600s in Germany. Okay. Uh, and I can't verify that. I haven't done that. Um, right. Germany is really hard because the records are really hard to read in the old German script. If you have records. Right. A lot of them were destroyed in the wars. And um, yeah, Germany was good at those. Yeah, <laughs> well, bombings and right, you know right. that way. And uh, my grandpa's from the Pomeranian area, which is uh, goes back and forth between Germany and Poland. Okay, so they have duplicate names for the same cities. And um, there's a group from the Wasa area that has traveled over there to do their research. The cemeteries there were taken out by Russian tanks, so oh, okay. there's no cemeteries to you know look at. So you kind of run into some. Some blocks like that. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So I think we're at that point where we're going to call this a wrap and move on to the next thing. Um, So up next um, is what I do all the time. It's a teaser. Next week. Next week is a milestone for us. Next week is episode 10. And um, our guest is going to be uh, a gentleman by the name of Rick Amelsey. I've known Rick... Forever? <laughs> I've known Rick since college, which puts it at um, 20 years ago, at least. Um, now, oh my God, it has been that long. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Which is about how long I've known you, too. Oh, well, yeah, unless you knew me from... Wait, when did you graduate from I, 94. Yeah, so we would have had a little overlap. We did have a little overlap, and I met Brian in 94 because... Did I ever tell you how I met, how how Brian and I met? I don't or know. Or at least the way I remember Brian and I meeting. Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, we're we're we've already went long this week, so a little bit longer is not going to hurt anybody. And this is kind of an interesting story. So, <laughs> in '94, that fall, I started at UWMC, mm-hmm. and Brian was going there already. And I was sitting down in the student union, and Brian walks up, plops down in the chair across from me, goes, "I know you," and I went. I'm like, who are you talking to, you know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. He goes, you went to West, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Brian Teeman. And I'm like, excellent. Good job. <laughs> so anyway, he seems to think, or at least he knew who I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people did because I did theater. You know, I was in every show in high school, I think. Mm-hmm. And... uh so that's how Brian and I started meet. Uh, that's how we met. And he worked in the union, so we got talking. And then, you know, one thing led to the next thing led to us watching Deliverance one night, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> and uh, That's you know, a podcast I don't want to be part of. <laughs> that's a podcast I don't want to be part of. <laughs> but anyway, so that that's how I met Brian. He just, you know, he just kind of plopped down. He's like, I know you. And I'm like, oh! Because... <laughs> I, I was not the, the, the lovable person I am today. I was a lot more introverted. I was a lot more unsure of myself than I am now. So um, I blame Brian for that. <laughs> not for the, the unsure part, but for what I've become today. 
<laughs> so anyway, back to Rick. Rick was part of that same group at college, and um, Brian was the reason I started role-playing. Um, so, you know, a lot of my habits to these days, you know, they are Brian's fault. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Rick was part of that group, too. And uh, so now I could go with the easy guess and say Rick's going to talk about swimming because that's all Rick ever talks about. That or, or Boy Scouts. Or Boy Scouts. Yeah. Those are the two I could go, you know, real easy. Mm-hmm. But Brian and I and, and Rick, um, we've been started on Sundays occasionally. We go out for walks, you know. And he talks a lot about farming and about um, his family are farmers. Mm-hmm. So that's my official guess is that Rick's going to talk about farming because he's going to try to throw me a curveball. And I keep thinking ahead now and I keep trying to think of what that odd thing is that somebody does. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Rick is going to talk to us about farming. That sounds like a good guess to me. All right. I, I, would have, I was just thinking that as well. Okay. Or maybe more specifically that co-op farming thing that he was involved in. Right, yeah. yeah. So, all but right. He also does hunting, too. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not a hunter. I, I did for a while. I went deer hunting for like seven years. I shot at one deer and I missed. So, <laughs> that's about it, folks. That's, that's about where it ends. But anyway... Um, next up, we got that whole email thing, and I said I would I would hopefully have the first email to talk about by episode 10. However, just a day ago, I got my first email. Ooh. It was junk mail. Oh. <laughs> well, you can read it, though. <laughs> well, I could, except it was just, it was one of those junk mails where it's just, it's just got a web address you're supposed to click oh. on. So I didn't click on it because, you know, yeah, yeah. I like my computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get an email. However, it's not one I can read to you guys. So send your emails. Send them to me. I will read them and say your name on the air and maybe you'll get famous. <laughs> You'd promise some pizza or butter brickle ice cream if you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you can have butter brickle ice cream if you can find it. <laughs> All right, which brings us into the last part of the night, and um, I, I I know you've listened to some of the podcasts. You know how this works. I read a quote, mm-hmm. and then you try to guess who said, said, said. Said, said quote. Said, said quote. Yes. I was saying that right. All right, all right. So here we go. All right. People ask how a Jewish kid from the Bronx do... I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Okay. People ask, how can a Jewish kid from the Bronx do preppy clothes? Does it have to do with class and money? It has to do with dreams. Wow. Um, so that makes me think of someone Jewish. And that's probably a good guess. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw up Mel Brooks because that's probably not something he would have said. So we'll toss him. Um, I don't know, Ben Stiller, is he a Jewish? Mm-hmm. Okay, Ben Stiller. I don't think that's right. That's that's not right. It was actually uh, Ralph Lauren. Oh, really? Yeah. He's Jewish? Yeah, he, I guess. I, I would have never guessed it. But, oh. um, so Ralph Lauren, uh, who is a, obviously a clothing designer, um, does the uh, polo line, I believe it's called. I think so. Yeah. It's, it's all clothes that are too expensive for me. Mm-hmm. So if you're ris- listening, Ralph. <laughs> Lower your price point. <laughs> no, no, just contact me. I'll give you sizes. You can send me stuff. Oh, you It'll be samples. good. Okay. But anyway, the reason I, I picked Ralph is because on October 14th, the day that this drops, he will be turning 77 years old. Well, happy birthday, Ralph. Yes, happy birthday, Ralph. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Sorry we went long. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.